<laughs> this time, one one zero zero one zero zero one one zero one one zero zero one one zero. As the most powerful men in Canada discuss top tech. This week, Google alternatives. So, are either of you scroogled? <laughs> I've scroogled up the wazoo. I refuse to say that word. I never thought I would either. It was a campaign that Microsoft put together for their Bing search service. Oh, yeah. But we've all heard about Google Reader going away in, in July, right? Yes. There's tons and tons of services that Google provides. They're one of these gigantic companies that throws money and resources at all sorts of things. And one of the things that geeks have been using for years is Google Reader. And Google Reader is a way of aggregating all of your RSS feeds, so all the kind of different news sources you get from all different places, and collect and subscribe them in one place. And you could access them through Google Reader's website, but there was a bunch of third-party applications that all supported it. And it used to be there was a bunch of different aggregates that, that did this, and Google basically kind of drove them all out of business. Well, Google did what it does best. It decided to take a service that everyone used and make it free. Yes. So everyone else couldn't compete against that, and it became the de facto standard. And just this last week, Google said, yeah, we're shutting it down. It's popular. People love it, but we can't figure out a way to make money off of it, so we're shutting it down. God knows why. Yeah. Google has Google Labs. If you work for Google, you have that 20% time thing where they say, if you have a cool idea, go right ahead and work on it one day a week. And then that way, if it turns into something neat, then maybe we'll help you turn it into something bigger. Those things generally became Google Labs components. And oh, By the way, Beach, Google Labs was actually shut down in 2011. Oh, jeez. <laughs> So Google has a history of taking really, really interesting technology and shutting it down. Or, <laughs> <laughs> well, really, really interesting technology, enabling it to get started and happen, and then at some point saying, hang on a second, this isn't seeing the penetration we need. So we're shutting it down. They're like the Walmart of technology. They come in, they make everything cheaper, in this case free, than everyone else, drive everyone else out of business. But unlike Walmart, they don't have the decency to stay. <laughs> they come into a community, they destroy it, and then they just leave the ashes behind. That's right, because if there's anything, any one word I would attribute <laughs> to Walmart, it would be decency. That's the first <laughs> one that pops up in my mind. Base level decency. Oh, Christ. So if you look in the show notes, I put a link to the Google Graveyard, which is a slate site. All those projects that Google has shut down. And you've got things like Google Postini Surfaces, Google Flu Vaccine Finder. Google related, Jaiku, Fast Flip, Google Lively, just dozens and dozens of things. You can leave flowers on the graves. <laughs> and yeah. Most of which don't even sound like real things that they made. Let's let's be I quite also honest. really love the fact that they have an open grave ready for Google Glass. <laughs> <laughs> and Google Glass being the technology where you can see a heads up display of the internet on your glasses. What's funny about this actually is that when a lot of these services were coming out, and let's let's look at a couple of them like Google Buzz. People didn't really want Google Buzz in the first place. And when things like, what was another good one? Well, Picasa for Linux, you guys aren't going to care about, so it doesn't really matter. Wave, that Loading Ready Run used that Wave. a lot. Yeah, People Wave. play D&D &D on that. <laughs> it was reasonably popular, and yet at the same time, not everyone could find a reason for it to exist. And so when it got shut down, everyone was like, well, Wave got shut down. Well, we really didn't know what it was for anyway. When iGoogle got shut down, iGoogle is how you can make essentially your own personalized Google portal website that you can go to every time you turn on your computer. Ooh. 
just like Yahoo back in the 1990s? Yes, exactly. The geek cognoscenti at large, they were not going to mourn the passing of Google OnePass or Google Video for Business, for example, or whatever the hell Jaiku is. Not that many people were using it, and... It didn't affect a ton of people, so not everybody got really bent out of shape. We all use Google for a lot of things. For our contacts, for our calendars, for our mail. And if you... For search. For search. If you think any of your favorite Google products are safe, what's the one thing that Google makes money off of? Search and ads. Yes. So those are the only things that we can pretty much say are safe Google products, which means you need to find some alternatives. Back in our episode 14 about domain names, we talked about the importance of owning your identity online. And there was a bunch of different ways that you could do that. You can register a domain and you can get your own website. And we talked about different places that you can get your website and you can use your website address for your email. And up until relatively recently, you could do that with Google services. Google Apps was a free way that you could do this, and it was really great. But Google, besides being a company that I personally don't trust very much with my data, they are making money off of me by selling my information to advertisers. And that never really sit great with me, but until <laughs> until they actually started taking away services I was using, I didn't seriously really say, you know what, today's the day. I've got to stop using all these Google services. But I think it leads to a bigger point about not relying on one specific company for any of your online life. That if you are completely dependent on a company like Apple or Google or Microsoft or whoever to be able to provide tools for you to be able to do what you need to do online, especially if you're not paying them any money for it, you could lose out on that at any moment. And so this episode is all going to be about diversifying that, picking some alternatives that you can find useful tools online that work for you right now. You shouldn't be completely reliant on one company. You should be able to switch between them. So using things that do open standards that you maybe pay a little bit of money for so you can be relatively sure that it's going to stick around for a couple of years. Those are the things I think was worth looking into. So this is something you've actually started doing right now. Yeah, I started pulling my stuff off of Gmail. So for quite a while, I did calendars and contacts and my email all through Gmail. I used IMAP and all the open style ways of connecting into Gmail, including ActiveSync, which allowed me to access my calendar, contacts, and email through my iPhone. And I really liked it. But I started thinking about moving off of that. And I realized my choices were like iCloud, which isn't actually necessarily a better service to choose because it still has those same kind of problems of being reliant on one company. And so I've registered a domain and I'm checking out a couple of alternative services for email, contacts, and calendars that would be easy for me to switch off of. And then I could always keep my email address, which I think is the really important thing. If you have a Gmail email address or an iCloud one or a Hotmail or whatever, it's harder for you to move off of that service when they start doing something you don't like or they start charging you too much money or they shut it down, right? Mm -hmm. So I looked into this email service called Zoho, which provides free ActiveSync email calendars and contact stuff for up to three users on your domain that you've registered. So I registered a domain through Hover. And so I'm setting up my email right now and it'll just be my name at blakebro.ca or whatever I choose it to be. And I can have up to three of those. And if I want more, I can pay for more. And if I don't like the service, since it's all using basic 
open stuff. I can back up all the content I have on there and just move to a different service that I either pay for or get for free. Hmm. I don't want to actually anger the neckbeards by saying that things like IMAP and ActiveSync are open source. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Those aren't open source. They're standards that are heavily used, but they are not open source. They're open standards, which means that they're well documented. They're able to be used, but not necessarily free. Yes. IMAP is not open source, but it's an open standard. I think ActiveSync is controlled by Microsoft. You might actually have to pay a license for that. Yeah, I think that's the case. Also an open standard, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> as long as you've got IMAP, you can get your mail itself off of any service. You can suck it down to your computer and can find another IMAP-based server and spew your mail back up or keep it on your computer if you prefer it that way. The problem is, if your email address ends in me.com or outlook.com or gmail.com, when those services go down, they're gone. Your email address is toast, put finished. And unlike when you make the decision to leave an email, you can't put a forward in there. If it just goes down, you're out of luck. And all the people who were sending email to that old address, it just won't work anymore. Well, and this has happened. So the earlier you can take control of that and say, you know what? No, my email address is at my name or at my company or whatever and move it to whatever service you want. You will have control of that for as long as you want. As long as you've got $10, $15 a year you can have control of that and not have to worry about anyone else being able to shut down the service because you can move it to wherever you want. So that's mail. If you want good mail support, set it up yourself. How about documents? Well, that's a good question. I store all my documents on Dropbox. The One of the things I like about Dropbox is if they flick the switch on Dropbox because what it's doing is just syncing a folder on my computer, they could switch that off right now. And I would still have all of my documents. I wouldn't lose a single thing. They would all be on my computer or the multiple computers that I have there plugged in. For right now, Dropbox seems to be the best alternative to Google Docs or any of the other document sharing. It's not like you can do a lot of editing that way, though. That's part of the issue, too. Oh, you mean like live editing like you can in Google Docs where you have access to a document and everyone can be working on it at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. And it's got web tools for editing the document on a web browser, whereas Dropbox, you have to open that file up in an application. You can't just do it through the web. And I bet you if Dropbox is smart, they're working on something like that. Well, OpenExchange, their company who previously built an alternative to Microsoft Exchange email server, OpenExchange has created something called OX Documents, and they have a demo version of their word processor out, OX Text. So that's out right now. A usable version of OX Text is scheduled to be released next month, with spreadsheets and presentation software coming later this year. All licensed under the General Public License 2 and under Creative Commons. So there's your open source alternative to online document editing. Where do those documents reside, though, that you're editing through a web interface? I haven't looked this up, but I bet you all of that stuff you can store in a Dropbox account, and you can use the Dropbox API to connect to it. And of course, this is a problem as well. We're talking about, well, what do you do if all of your documents are sewed up into a private corporation? And we're saying, oh, well, you could just put everything in Dropbox, which is a private corporation. But at least with Dropbox, you can pay to have Dropbox. If Dropbox decides to shut down, the way it fails is much like a train failing. The train just slows down and goes to a crawl. There's no catastrophic failure for the data on board. When you're dealing with Google or with another company where all of your stuff is tied up in a proprietary place... Online. It's like a plane crash. If the plane suddenly fails... It's crashing to the ground and taking everything inside with it. Yeah. It's a much more catastrophic failure, whereas a train failure, you can just jump off the train once it comes to a stop, whereas all your stuff is all crushed and mangled inside the plane. That's another way a train can <laughs> fail is by derailment, but you'd see that coming. And never use a train analogy, right, gentlemen? That's Not to upset the uh, train neck. <laughs> 
Oh, he probably doesn't listen to the show. We don't have to worry about upsetting him. So thank God. None of our friends listen to the no, show. No, they get enough of this from us every other day of the week. <laughs> so there's your documents. There's your calendar and your contacts and your mail. Those are some options. So have we come up with any places for Google Reader yet? The one that we most want? RSS feeds are something that any website can set up on their own. Correct? Yep. Yes. And you can just establish an RSS feed. And then... You don't need to do anything. It's just a file on your server. Right. And so then, therefore, all an RSS feed is, really, is just a collection of, here's all the posts, or here's all the new stuff, here's all the new things that I'm putting into this, and it's just a file that's going to keep generating new headlines, for example, let's say that. I subscribe to RSS feeds... And I put the RSS feed directly into KTorrent, and KTorrent reads that feed every so often. They read it every five minutes or 60 minutes or whatever. So I thought that was what every other reader on the planet does when it comes to an RSS feed for anything else, is that you say, oh, here is an RSS feed for a website. Please read this every so often. And then you have like a dozen or two dozen RSS feeds that you just put into this reader, and then it works. So what is Google Reader for? Google Reader is two parts. Google Reader is, one, a very good web-based RSS reader slash client. It's a good way of reading your feeds, starring them, sharing them, whatever. You can do that in any other client. What makes Google Reader special and what's made it special and what's made it dominant is that it's also a place to synchronize your feeds and the red states of your feed between different clients, be it the website or your phone or a program on your phone oh. or your tablets or your computers. I never touch the Google Reader website. Same here. But I've used dozens of programs to connect to Google Reader because they've got kept getting better and better. It was the only way for me to read things at work where I was forced to use a PC and come home and not have to say, okay, well, I've read this, 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 and this. Because when you start reading hundreds and hundreds of different articles every day, keeping track of what you've read and what you haven't read becomes a major pain in the ass. Oh, exactly. And then programs like Reader and Net Newswire, Flipboard, you can individually subscribe to them, but the better way to operate it, as Ian pointed out, is to connect into Google Reader because it synchronizes everything you've done on the different devices. Before Google Reader, Net Newswire actually did allow you to synchronize your red states between different computers that use Net Newswire. It did it by actually accessing an FTP site that you'd have to set up, and it would oh, send wow. your database there. It worked fantastically. And then Google opened up Google Reader's API, allowing people to synchronize using Google Reader, and Net Newswire dropped the FTP syncing. Give us your Google Reader account. We'll connect to that. Isn't that a lot simpler? Yes, it is. Thanks very much for that. Yes. A lot of different news readers for either your phone, your mobile devices, on your computer, all they do is just say, yeah, just give us a Google Reader account. It's easier. We've offloaded that to Google. And Google has a Reader API that they've made up. The issue then is, if this is a way that people have been trading stuff around the web, how are we going to get around that? Because Google's shutting this down soon, and it sounds like there's no alternative. We've been banding around the terms open standard a lot. We probably need an open protocol and an open standard, not just for RSS itself, which is an open standard, but also a standard for synchronizing this sort of thing. Yes. And that probably is going to be based around the Google Reader API, given that the API commands are already programmed into every feed reader under the sun right now. What... I'd really like to see is rather than just one more company becoming a dominant company, I'd like to see it become an open standard and the option arise for you to set up an open source server of your own on your own back end, be it on your home computer or on a server that you control out in the cloud somewhere. 
that allows you to run your own RSS syncs. So a completely decentralized style exactly. of dealing with that so that not one company controls it and everyone can have their own little RSS exactly. feed aggregator. And so the same way when you use an email program and it asks you to enter in your email server, you get the same thing on the RSS program where it asks you to enter your username and your password and the RSS syncing server rather than just assuming it's Google Reader. I would assume that maybe a way to do this is if, it, if you can control it all through text files and stuff just to say this is what's been read, you don't have to have a program backend, especially if all the smarts are built into the readers. This is an article I'm going to put in the show notes as well. This is actually a lot more complicated than we think it is. And oh, wow. Linked to Brett Simmons, the man who used to program at Newswire. Mm-hmm. He's been looking at this problem for quite a while. And it's not pretty. The basic takeaway from this is that we don't have an answer for this question yet, and it's still developing. But it's salient because it brings back to this idea that decentralized open standards are going to be better for you, the user, that we should investigate those and work towards getting off of these companies that are controlling every aspect of the technology that we want to use. And RSS is a good example. And I hope you're right, Ian. I hope someone can come up with something like this and open it up to the world, and then everyone just starts implementing it. It's not that Google controlling Google Reader was a bad thing. I mean, it's a bad thing now. But it's more the sense that because Google made Google Reader free and then said, you know what, we're not going to ever use this for anything else. It's not going to make revenue for us. Rather than turn around and say, oh, we're not going to keep this free, we're going to start charging money for it instead. They just said, we're just going to drop it. So there's not a problem with a company saying, hey, we make an, a product that's all online that's going to have a lot of information. The problem is that if there's no way for me to give you money to ensure that it, it continues to exist then we should just assume that at some point it's going to cease to exist. That's exactly it. And I think the key is not necessarily making sure that you can give them money, but making sure that you can get your data out of there. That's true too. Even if you can give money to a company, that's no guarantee that enough people are giving money to a company that it's going to stay around forever. That's true as well. I think that is the important thing, that if you're going to give your important data to anyone, make sure it's easy for you to get out. God, when did I become the open access zealot? (laughs) 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 This episode, I think that more than any other, it's really important if you're wanting to find out more information about this, we've got some great show notes at toptech.tiltyhouse.com and the episode number of this episode is 25. And so check that out and click on some of the links and send us some feedback. And on that bombshell, we have been the most powerful men in Canada. My name is Ian Horner. I'm Johnny Blakebro. And I have three email addresses that all end in gmail.com. I'm Brendan Beach Deary. Thanks for joining us. The most powerful men in Canada would love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at toptech.tiltyhouse.com if you have any comments or if there are any subjects you'd like us to cover in a future show. 